Amen. In a time that uh, we need to have something that doesn't change. Amen. Our children heading out to our children's church. Let me first start off our time together this morning with realizing what this weekend represents. It represents uh, those who have given their lives for our country uh, in war, and, and we're just so honored. Uh, today, we want to honor those who have uh, their family members that may still be here that have lost a loved one in war. And at the same time, we want to honor those who are serving or have served in our armed forces. And if you're one of those, please stand up. Amen. Father, we thank you for these men and women that, uh, Lord, have given their hearts and their lives to the service of our country and serving, Lord, and, and willing to give their life for their country. And, Lord, uh, we're just so honored to have men and women that are willing to, to do that. And, and, Lord, we know that it all comes from you. And we understand and know, Lord, that ultimately, Jesus Christ, you gave your life uh, to, Lord, to meet the greatest need of all mankind so that we would not have to fear death, but Lord, that we can look at death square in the eye and say, where is your sting, O death? Because you have overcome death and hell and sin. And Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory. Thank you for these men and women that have served and are serving. Thank you for the family members that have lost loved ones uh, due to this uh, incredible, awful war. And we just ask, O oh Father, that you would continue to look over them and meet every need that they have. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have found in life that the beginning of anything is the most important part of the work. Uh, I saw a picture the other day of, uh, uh, of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. How, how many of you ever had the privilege to, to go to Italy and see that? Anybody? Well, I've, I've seen it on pictures, and that's about as far as I've been. But uh, uh, it's interesting, as you look at that thing, it is sort of, it's amazing to me. But have you ever asked yourself the question, why is this big old tower, 185 feet high in some places and 183 feet high in other places, why is it the way it is? It's because of the foundation. They had a faulty foundation when they built that thing, and because of that, that's where it is today. Uh, the, the, they, the history tells us that the understanding of that when they laid the foundation, that the one area of it was softer than the other, and that caused it to, to be the way it is. And I find in life that uh, if you don't deal with the, the beginning of a work, and if you don't do the right foundation, uh, you're going to have a lot of leaning towers in your life, amen? And, and, and in so doing that, it's going to create havoc in your life down the road because it creates stress in areas of your life that it shouldn't normally create stress. You know, I have found that uh, as we look into the gospel today, in the Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be today, but I was, I was thinking about this, I had uh, I listened to a story of the physician, Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke asked a question and was answering a question from a dear friend, a very affluent friend of his. 
his name was Theophilus, and basically he was asking, Theophilus was asking Luke, you know, what in the world is Christianity anyway? What, what is this I'm hearing, and what is this that I'm, I'm seeing around that's happening? What, what is Christianity? And so you find that as we look at this today, in Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, you have your Bibles, turn there with me. All right, those who are visiting wondering what in the world is going on. We get excited when we turn to the Word of God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the words will be provided for you on the screen there. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times and dates the Father set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he has taken up before them, before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his holy and precious word. He, he begins in verse 1. He tells Theophilus, his friend, this. He says, the first book that I have given to you, it gives you all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Well, if you go to the first book that he's talking about is Luke himself, the Gospel of Luke. Luke verse 1, 1 through 4. This is what he says. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Today I'm beginning a new series on what is Christianity and how important it is that you know the origin of your faith. Next week we're going to touch on the organism of your faith and then deal with the operation of your faith. But as we look today, it's critical that you understand the origin of our faith, where it comes from and what is it that we believe. He says in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Luke tells Theophilus the story of what we believe. Now what is the story? A handful of men and women who the, uh, 
authorities of the day regarded as nobodies. They were just simply ordinary, uneducated, and ignorant men and women. They had nothing or no one to recommend them. They had no great names. They had no degrees, no money, no means of communication, no advertisement. They had nothing at all. Yet, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17 that these folks turn the world upside down. Now, I can tell you, that is truly making a name for yourself. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. And see, what God is helping us to see is that history reveals to us that Christianity become the most powerful force in the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, Constantine, if you'll study history at all, will tell you that, that he was so amazed about Christianity, he wanted the whole Roman Empire to be Christianized. That was his desire. Now, what caused that to happen? Was it politics? Was it some principles? No, it was not. So what is Christianity? First of all, we need to know what Christianity is not. And this is so critical as I lay this foundation for you. What Christianity is not. First of all, Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a philosophy. It's not, in other words, it doesn't come from man's reason. It doesn't mean that we check out our reason, but it doesn't come from man's reason. Matter of fact, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, the world by wisdom knew not God. You see, philosophy observes nature and history and tries to put together their point of view of what they think. But as Pascal, the French, great French mathematician and scientist said this, the supreme achievement of reason is to bring us to see that there is a limit to reason. Amen? I, I can tell you, I have found in life that reason is good, but if you totally depend on that, you're going to be in a dark about a lot of things. Because life is about faith in every area. One thing I've learned is I cannot really understand and comprehend how electricity works. Hey, it just baffles my mind. Now, I understand some concepts and so on and so forth, but the reality is, I don't understand it all. But one thing I've learned is, I know that electricity is there, so I flip the switch on and use it. Amen? And so as we see this today, Christianity, first and foremost, is not a philosophy. Second, it is not principles of morality. Oftentimes, we think that Christianity is about living by a moral code. Now, listen. God's given us some principles to live by. He's given us, a, listen, we should be men and women who are high character people. And we should be living by principles of God's word. But Christianity is not in and of itself principles of morality. Because I have found there's going to be a lot of people end up separated from God forever simply because they believed in their self-righteousness. They believed that they were good enough. But you see, when you measure goodness according to the Bible, it must be perfect. Now, I don't know any human being yet that's been there but one, and his name is Jesus. He's the only one. 
Everybody else, the Bible tells us, has fallen short. We're all in the same pit. Christianity is not politics. Christianity is not principles of morality. Watch this. Christianity is not a political movement either. We often think that, you know, if we're on the right side of politics, we're with God. Be careful with that. Because let me remind you, the politics of the day crucified Jesus. You got the conservatives, the Pharisees on one hand. You got the liberals, the Sadducees on the other hand. And both of them want to get rid of Jesus. Yeah. So you see, Christianity is not about politics. It's not a political movement. Now, hear me, I'm getting ready to bust a lot of bubbles when I say this. Christianity is not a religion either. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is about a relationship. And there is a huge difference. And you need to know that. Well, what is Christianity if there's not any of those things? Because I had my bank account on those things, and now you're telling me that's a bad place to invest my money, invest my time and energy. Well, I'm glad you asked, because listen to me, Christianity is a phenomenon of history. In other words, it is a fact. Why do I say that? Because Christianity at its core, at its fundamental core, is about an historical person. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's not some figment of imagination that come up. It is a historical person that Christianity has built upon, and you need to understand that. Now, why is that? Because something happened in this person, Jesus of Nazareth, that affects every single individual who ever has been or ever will be in this time, world of time. Christianity is the facts about Jesus of Nazareth. What he did, what he said, and the meaning of his purpose. Person. Now he says in Acts 1.1, the first account I composed, Theophilus, listen to me, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now I want to look at those two things what he began to do and to teach. What, in the, what did he do first? Well, in the first book, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and the other Gospels tell this and explain this story. First of all, Jesus is born supernaturally. He is born of a virgin. In Luke 1, verse 35, the Bible says, And the angel answered and said unto her, Mary, that is, The Holy Spirit will come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee, and wherefore also the holy thing which is begotten shall be called the Son of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, Mary, and impregnate you, and it will not be the seed of your husband, it will be the seed of God. It is a supernatural thing. And I know in your mind, in my mind, we're thinking, how in the world can that happen? Only God. Only God. And so the Bible tells us that, first of all, that he was born supernaturally. Second, he did supernatural miracles. 
There was never a man has ever come upon earth that did the incredible miracles that Jesus did. He, listen, he healed the sick. He caused a person that was born blind for 40 years to be, be able to see again. He, he, he took a person with leprosy and cleansed him, a person who is deaf and mute, caused him to speak again. He took, listen, a person who is dead and raised him to new life. This is all in the gospel. His first book, he wrote to Theophilus. Third, we see he lived a sinless life. Jesus is the only one who ever lived a sinless life in thought, word, and in deed. Then what did else he do? He died. He died and was buried and he rose from the dead three days later. Then he ascended to heaven. Well, before he ascended to heaven, he appeared to many chosen disciples over a period of 40 days. Now think about that. It sort of give you a summary of what he did. He came, he taught, he worked miracles, he gave himself as a substitutionary sacrifice. He died, he was buried, he rose again, and he ascended. That's basically what the outline of the book of Luke is all about. It's about what Jesus did. Now, he also said not only what Jesus did, but what did Jesus teach? What did he teach? Well, first of all, we see in the gospel that he taught and claimed absolute authority. I remember the Pharisees were, were really uh, in an argument with Jesus. Always going to lose. I mean, this guy's perfect, has perfect wisdom, and knows everything, and you're going to argue with him. But anyway, here they were, and the Pharisees arguing with him about, hey, Jesus, we are the sons of Abraham. And Jesus says this, Truly, truly, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this, but it's true. He says, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Wow. Jesus' first sermon that he preached, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, listen to this. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Well, watch this. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever he says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now watch this. He is saying in essence, this is what they, they were taught, you were taught in the Old Testament. I'm here to tell you I claim absolute authority. I am taking that level and moving it up a step. Now, you can't do that unless you're the one who wrote the first one. And that's exactly what it is. See, Jesus is claiming absolute authority. He also claimed in his teaching to be the very Son of God. They asked him very clearly, are you the Son of God? He says, I am. I don't know how much more clear we can get here. That's what he taught. Now, he even taught why he came. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, he helps them to see, listen, I'm not here for you to serve me. I'm here to serve you. 
and I'm going to show you how I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to be ultimately given into the Father's hand, into the hands of men and women who would want to crucify me, and I'm going to willfully do that because it's in the Father's plan to save mankind. What a God. This is what Jesus taught. Watch this. He explained the meaning of his coming. In Luke 24, after his resurrection, he's walking on the road to Emmaus with these disciples of Jesus, and, and they're just really, they're having a conversation of conversation. Jesus shows up and walks along with them, and he's sharing with them. In verse 45 of Luke 24, he says this. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now watch this. Jesus is telling them what you learned about the Messiah coming, I'm the one. I'm fulfilling this. Moses talked about it. The other prophets talked about it. And the Psalms talks about it. This is who I am. Then he opened the minds of their understanding, the Bible says, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now Jesus, in effect, said to his disciples that I'm sending you out to preach and I want you to tell people that repentance and forgiveness of sin is only possible in my name. Now, it's interesting. He says, proclaim it to all people groups, no matter who they are. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter, matter what class they are. It doesn't matter what creed they are. The human race is one. Humanity is one in sin. The Bible tells us it's one under wrath, one in its destiny in hell. There is only one Savior. Tell them about me. Be my witnesses. Now hear me. The big thing in America today regarding Christianity is this. Is that today people want to be advocates of Christianity. They don't want to be witnesses of Christianity. And hear me, God does not need anyone to be an advocate of Christianity. He's looking for witnesses of Christianity. The difference of the two is one is truly born again, the other is, hey, I like it because of the moral code it teaches. Hello? And see, I'm afraid a lot of people in the church are advocates. They're not witnesses. And therefore, they haven't seen the power of God. I can tell you, 28 years ago, when I met my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He changed my life. And listen, from that day on, I went to find my friends. I got to tell you about what the one who has changed my life. Listen, I was addicted to everything there was to be addicted to, it seemed. I couldn't stop. I was a wretch of all wretch. Listen, I had understanding, but it was deep and dark. 
And I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ came to me, opened my eyes of understanding, and showed me my need of him and what I was searching for in my life and trying to find meaning and purpose in my life. I thought education was the answer. I thought uh, performing to a certain standard and getting every award and every trophy you could find, that's the answer to my life. Having the money that I can say, hey, I got security now, and having a family that will do it. And I found that, listen, all of those things have its place, but I found there was only one that could forgive me for all of my sins and give me purpose and meaning in my life, and his name was Jesus. I met him, and I want to declare to you, he is the only one that can change your misery and take you out of the pit of despair and put you on the rock of Jesus Christ and change your life forever. He's the only one. He's the only one. Listen, I have several people I know, several friends of mine now. They will tell you, they're multimillionaires. They've got money. They had everything. And as he was telling me, I was sitting in his office. He says, see that suitcase? He opened it up. I don't know what was in that suitcase, but I have never seen so many drugs in all my life. That's what I live by. That's what I live on. That's what gets me up and brings me down. That's what allows me to, to keep on going. I said, are you tired? You tired of living that way? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? There's hope for you. Through Jesus, you can change. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. But note with me, he says all that Jesus began to do and to teach. You see, Jesus began to actively do and teach, and then he continued to actively do and teach powerful truths that change lives. He had 120 that he had together in the upper room, and he told them as he ascended to heaven, go back, go back and wait. Wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And when he does, you will be my witnesses and you will have a power that you don't have right now. And it will not be relying upon your human wisdom. It will not rely upon your, your money. It will not rely upon your status. It will rely upon me, the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, you follow, as you follow the end of chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says a mighty rush of his spirit came upon those first disciples. And watch this, it changed their lives forever. Now watch this, these men were cowards before the power of the Holy Spirit come upon them. I mean, every one of them, when Jesus went to the cross, they were scattering all over the body. You couldn't find one with a search warrant. And I'm telling you, even Peter was trying to stay close, and the point that he, he was really to that point, that a little girl come to him and said, hey, I think he was with Jesus, and he denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. Listen, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Everything changed. Everything changed. Why? Because now there was a new power. And this power has now come upon them. And now instead of being cowards, they were courageous witnesses for Jesus Christ. 
and you find that Jesus continues this work. In Acts chapter 9, you find the, the, the apostle Saul, who was changed to Paul. He was on the road to kill Christians. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love, blinded Saul and spoke to Saul. And Saul said, what do you want me to do, Lord? And he tells him, he goes in. And then later, Ananias comes and lays hands on him. He's able to see again. And God uses him as a mighty witness of him from that day forward. You find Paul in his ministry as he was going through difficulties in his life that he, the Bible says to Timothy in his last letter in 2 Timothy 4.17, he tells Timothy, everyone has left me alone. But one thing I know, the Lord had me. He's with me. And because he's with me, I can face what I'm going through in life. That's why he told the Philippians, while he's in jail, he is chained to other prisoners and to the guards there in jail. And he's telling them, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. What is it, Paul? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what Christianity is about. Then in Acts 1, verse 10, 11, I share with you in our text, it says, And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was, Jesus was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from heaven, taken from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying here, he isn't finished. He will come back again. And he will judge the world in righteousness and set up his glorious kingdom. You see, the message of Christianity is Christ. It's all about Jesus, what he did, what he taught. It's not about your performance or my performance. It's about the performance of the one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He has provided a way for your salvation. He has provided a way for your escape that you can enjoy the benefits of what Christianity offers. That, my friend, is your greatest need, is to know God. Do you know God? Jesus said this, he is the means to get to know God. In Hebrews 1, verse 1, it says, referring to Jesus Christ, he is the exact representation of God. Jesus himself said this, if you're going to know God, if you're going to know God the Father, this is what he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes before the Father except through me. Now listen, that's not my words. Those are Jesus Christ's words. So, you have to choose, am I going to believe his words or am I going to believe my own understanding? Am I going to believe what I think? Let me ask you. If you were all given a fortune, would that solve our problem? Mm -mm. Look all over our world today. They said this group, ISIS, listen, they, they got almost billions of dollars out here now. 
And uh, what's the issue? They're killing people. It's all over the place. Right here in, in our own country. Would that solve our, our moral problem if we had a fortune? Would that, now listen to me. Would that solve our problem of our death? Everyone is going to die. My friend, listen to me. I, I remember when I was 28. Whew, that's a long time ago. Man, you know, Jody, I could bend down and catch the ball and get up the next day and still feel good. Now I've been down, I can't get up, but the next morning it takes me and my wife and my children to help me up. It's ridiculous. But we all going to, listen, our bodies are decaying, amen? <laughs> Some are faster than others. <laughs> and I tell you, I think I'm on, a, I'm on a fast track or something. I don't know what it is. But we gotta face, we're going to face eternity. None of that. Listen, a fortune will not cover that. The message of Christianity is not about improving the world, but about changing people in spite of the world, preparing them for the glory that is yet to come. Listen to me. I, I know early on in my life, I thought this was it. I, listen, I, I live my life for right now. And listen, I, I was trying to figure out a way to gratify everything there was to have on this earth to have it. And then I thought, man, if this is the best there is to offer, man, we're in trouble. And the older I get, the more I realize more and more the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. See, God's intention all along was that we would be in a relationship with him of love and have every need met in our life through him. We chose through Adam to do it our own way and listen to the word of the enemy Whisper to him and says, hey, God's withholding from you. But watch this. <coughs> though mankind <coughs> fails, and though mankind continues to fall short, God in his mercy and his love says, I love you. I want to do everything I can to bring you back so that for eternity we can have an intimate love relationship by which you're going to be a part of a new kingdom that he's going to set up. And listen, that you will work, that you will serve, you will worship. And watch this. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There will be no more headaches and heartaches. Amen. There will be eternal joy, inexpressible and full of glory. That's what he offers in the near future. Now, a question for us here today is, have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? How do you do that? By believing on his name as your only source of salvation from your sins. Have you become and are you becoming a new person? Jesus said it this way. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. My friends, God loves you, and he wants a relationship with you, and he wants to impact your life 
in your family, in your church, in your work, and in your recreational life, he wants to see others be taken out of that pit of darkness and brought into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity is all about what Jesus began to do and teach. Let me ask you, are you in? Do you know him? I'm not asking, do you know about him? I'm not asking you, hey, I went to church. I'm not asking you, hey, I belong to a church. I'm asking you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that he has changed you, is changing you, and will change you? As I said last week, has it happened to you? Have you been changed? Listen, there is no such thing in Christianity that I can receive Christ and not be changed. That is not Christianity. Christianity is, listen, when Jesus Christ comes into a life, he resurrects it. He changes it forever. And he's wanting to change you today. To tell you this, he loves you. For the origin of Christianity is Christ. Christ. He loves you and wants a relationship with you. Next week, we'll talk about the organisms of our faith. My prayer today is that you know what you believe. Because if you don't have the right foundation, you'll start leaning in your life. Too far to the left, too far to the right. And guess what? God wants to be center of your life. And if he's a center, he'll keep you balanced. Amen? Father, in Jesus' glorious name, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And I think of what you have done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. I could never say thank you enough. Lord, may our lips praise you. May our lungs praise praise you. May our lives represent Jesus Christ in everything that we say and everything that we do. May we understand that you began a good work in us and you promise in your word that you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let this be a day that we experience you and let the fullness of your spirit let loose upon us this morning. Have your way, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God's